0: Welcome to In The Isles, a movie and TV podcast. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Daniel Acton. This week, we'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll cover a little bit of real news. We have a conflicts of interest about lost in translation. And for our main review, we're talking about On the Rocks, also directed by Sofia Coppola.
1: One could argue it's a Sofia Coppola special episode.
0: Yep. Yep. Let's go with that. We'll go with that branding. Yep. Episode 25. 26. Sophia 26. Sofia Coppola special.
1: What's gone down in real life news this week, James?
0: I had a total chivalry failure so sometimes when my partner that i have a lifetime contract with is coming down (laughs) some stairs i'll extend my hand to emulate Rose coming down the steps in titanic to meet jack in the final scene (laughs) okay (laughs) so i did that and it was outside as she was coming out of a building rainy day steps were a little bit slippery so she was stepping down i just put my hand out By putting my hand out that made her fall over and fall downstairs. And there was a lot of people also like waiting around us to also go into this building and she said, it's because I was looking at your hand that I fell over. She said she needed to be looking at the stairs to safely get down the stairs. And by looking at my hand that made her fall over and I just felt awful. I felt awful because it scuffed one of her boots. It creased the toes on one of them. And they're they're not ruined, but they're permanently damaged now, these nice boots. And I felt awful afterwards.
1: You shouldn't feel guilty. That's survivor's guilt. You didn't fall, but you, you meant well. And that's all that really matters there. So don't beat yourself up over it. By the way, apology, but not the normal type of apology we make at the start of a show. I've had a smoked salmon pate on toast for breakfast this morning. And it is not agreeing with me at all. And all I can hear is my stomach rumbling. So if that's coming through the microphone, yeah, nobody wants to hear that, but it can't be helped. Sorry.
0: But just mute yourself when I'm talking. Now that your stomach has settled, would you like to tell us what you've been watching this week?
1: Certainly can do. So I've had an awful week from a work perspective. I'm not going to dig into that because I don't want to lose my job. Needless to say, I didn't need any dark shit in terms of my viewing experiences. So I've gone down the comedy route And I was that open to comedy that I would settle for any old nonsense. So I chose to watch the rather barmy Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun on Netflix. Have you heard of this?
0: No word of a lie. I was going to talk about this as well. So please continue and I'll add if
1: necessary. Okay. So I'll preface this with you have to be very open to anything walking into this comedy show. This is an extremely popular Australian comedy troupe. They started off as a YouTube sensation. I've personally never heard of them at all. And then out of nowhere, Netflix gives them a chance at a full-blown series. And I will say that the beauty of Netflix is that they just take a chance on these things. And if it doesn't pay off, it's not skin off their nose. They've got an infinite bank of money to play around with, so they're not bothered. And they do seem more willing to do this than anybody I know. And sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I respect them for that. So this is absurdist humour in the form of a sketch show. I think if you've got prior knowledge of them, you might ease into it slightly easier. But I went into this looking at an 8.5 IMDb rating. It doesn't deserve that. It did, however, leave me laughing on at least 10 different occasions in the first episode alone. Now, I don't know what that says about me, and I think when you've watched it, it'll tell you a lot. But my partner suffered inverted commas through this for six minutes and then looked at me as if all her hopes and dreams had come crashing down on her just because i was finding it funny i suddenly was not the person that she thought i was i do feel like this is my most cautious review because it really does depend on how willing you are to open your mind to certain comedy it feels quite abrasive in many ways, and I don't mean that in terms of its content, it always feels like it comes from a good place and, and one of humour. It's not trying to say anything deep, but if you just have a laugh with it, it's it's just so all over the place, mental. But I really admired it for that. And I think to get a bit personal, it's such an emotionally odd time at the minute. I mean, we don't even know what we're gonna be doing for Christmas because we might be breaking the law if we see our own families. That's how mad the world is. That we live in is but it's it's nothing too deep, it's just it's just so over the top mental. And I just really enjoyed the balminess of it all. And to just give you a bit of an insight into how weird it is, Ed Helms features as a he executive produced this, I think, and he turns up in the second episode basically bollocking the whole group for dicking around on set and is like, listen, we've got a show to do. Come on, guys, come on it comes about that they're saying, listen, Ed, calm down, or something to that effect. And he's like, what did you just call me? What did you just call me? And like, Ed. And he's like, that is not my name. He is adamant that his name is Egg Helms, and it's been wrong for all these years. And they make him look his own IMDb credits up. And he just has this, like, revelationary moment where he's like, oh, my God, the whole world thinks my name is Ed Helms. And it's stupid. It is beyond stupid. But I just found it hilarious. So, yeah cautiously enter and see what you think but i was just really in the mood for this and i found it rather funny you're gonna say the opposite now aren't you
0: i completely agree i agree how many episodes have you watched
1: i've watched five
0: i've watched four or five and yeah you've you've summed up a lot of what i was thinking i was either laughing out loud literally out loud or i was grinning for the whole runtime of every episode what i'll add to what you've said is that i think it's difficult to binge watch because it's so dense, there's so much going on. There's so many ideas that it's easy to get tired of what's happening. I think there's too much shouting. If there was 40% less shouting, it would be better. That would lift it up because sometimes they will just shout the joke, like they're going back and forth saying touche, 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 two of the guys. Then one guy shouts, do you even know what touche means? but he screams it. And there's a, there's a few bits like that where he's screaming it, but these three lads, the chemistry is so good that I could still enjoy it. And it does feel like sometimes, and this is in a good way, they're just throwing ideas at the wall. Yeah. And you can sense them in the writer's room, just throwing ideas off each other and letting things evolve. Like this bit where Ellen, but it's one of the men playing Ellen, Den Den, Den Gineras, says, you've won a Toyota Corolla. And the, one of them goes out and it's all done over a phone call. He goes out into Toyota Corolla. Ellen says, look in the glove compartment. It's another prize. It's a ticket to get on a train, gets on the train, looks in the toilet on the train. There's another prize. And it just goes from there. And he keeps finding different prizes. <laughs> but <laughs> along the way, he ends up winning two more Toyota Corollas and then he travels to space. And It's, you could, it, it's absurd. And it just goes on and on and on. But... I liked it and I I was laughing. But like I said, I don't think you can binge watch it because it's very full on. It reminded me of Bottom.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison to make. Yeah, but cannot be stressed enough, though. It's going to divide audiences. I think this you're either. First three minutes, actually, there is a song called Everything's a Drum that set me up. For knowing exactly what sort of show this is. And I just thought, yep, give me more of this, please. If you watch that first sketch and think, what the hell is this? Just turn it off. You're not going to enjoy it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you laugh at Jerry Seinfeld? (laughs) Yeah, I
1: loved that bit. It
0: was so funny. Um, Uh, And it's not actually Jerry Seinfeld. That's why it's funny. Yeah. What else have you been watching?
1: It was a Saturday evening. We didn't have anything lined up to watch uh, apart from this week's main review. And I stupidly said to my partner, "You're not going to enjoy On the Rocks. You're just not. So we'll not watch that. Might regret that decision. We'll see you later." So I said, "Oh, what, what? about some stand-up comedy? What? What about some good old stand-up comedy?" And I thought, "I'm going to dip into the back catalogue of Eddie Murphy." I don't know if you were you a fan of Raw and Delirious back in the day. I think I watched. One of them, whichever the first one of is of those, I've
0: watched that and I liked it at the time. Not at the release date, but when I've watched it. Whenever that was, long answer, yes.
1: Eddie Murphy, I have a bit of a weird relationship with him, not on a personal level, but I, I'm not that familiar with his work. Before I came to his stand-up comedy in my teenage years, about 15, 16, I had no love for him. I've not seen Beverly Hills Cop, sorry. I've not seen Trading Places. And some people will be saying... You're not qualified to do a film podcast. Then shut up. I I, I get where you're coming from. But anyway, I, I watched his stand-up and I thought, oh my god, this guy is actually a comedy genius because I, th- I think around that time as well, his star had started to dwindle a bit and he'd done a few misses like Norbit and and such. So I, I had quite a dim view of him before that point. Anyway, we thought we're going to watch Delirious and and my partner had never seen it either, so this is on Netflix at the minute, but. I was quite reserved going into it as well, because I know that a lot of his act centers around race. And obviously that's quite prevalent at the minute with what's going on in the world. And, and just how, how on the edge is it at the minute with, with the political climate and, and what's going on. And it turns out very, this does not hold up well at all. There's some really, really troubling bits which I didn't even remember at all. So Early on, there's a homophobic slur, which is obviously meant to serve the purpose of of a joke. And I think he is trying to not offend, but my word, just through using a word that is no longer acceptable, it's just very difficult to be on board with a lot of what is being said. Similarly, later on in his act, he starts to make reference to black women being more powerful and, you know, they can do their own thing and, they're not relying on men anymore. And he frames this joke around a woman being hit and not accepting that she's being hit. And he, as part of that act, says that he hit hit a woman last week. And she was just like, oh my word, no, you will not do that. And I just thought you, you're confessing to hitting a woman on stage. And I don't think that's a joke. It was just troubling to watch. And I didn't think it would be quite this controversial. All that aside, and I'm not you know, making light of anything that I've just touched on. But I can't get around the fact that from a timing perspective and and his comic presence on stage, it is undeniable. He's he's a genius. This is some of the finest standard work I've ever seen, but it just feels ever so slightly out of touch, shall we say, and a bit problematic. If nothing else, watch this to see a point in time and how things have progressed and try not to judge the artist for the era in which he delivered this comedy because I think that has to be something that you think about as well because if you think like back in the day he's trying to be progressive he's a black comedian he's got to go outside of people's comfort zones to like make a statement and he really does do that and I think he had to do that to get noticed but like I say challenging
0: a product of its time it sounds like
1: that's perfect way of putting it thank you that's what i was trying to say
0: (laughs) so what's the name of this
1: sorry eddie murphy delirious on netflix
0: very good i'm surprised it's even on netflix if it's that problematic but they do have cuties on there so
1: james what is in your watch list this week
0: well besides auntie donna's big ol house of fun i also watched also on netflix liberator have you heard of this no, I don't it think just came happened. out this week and it's made its way into the top 10 on Netflix. It's a World War II drama series and it's most notable for being rotoscoped animation over live action performances like A Scanner Darkly from back in the day, which I didn't watch. Only four episodes, so good to binge. It's about this 500-day period of time where this one man and his unit were fighting across Europe towards the end of World War II. Something that's been commented about that I liked about it as well was that it has some new perspectives on the war, especially with a Native American soldier that I'd never seen before. And as we've previously discussed in Evil Eye, I knew with his house, is that what it's called? nice to see new perspectives in familiar settings i would have liked a bit more of that a lot of it is what you've seen before i think in war series especially the pacific and band of brothers the last episode or perhaps the first episode is called why we fight and that is the same name of the last episode of band of brothers this series even ends as well with them discovering the concentration camps just like band of brothers so i couldn't escape the feeling that i'd seen better versions of this before even though i was going in wanting to like it because the rotoscoping scoping is an interesting idea but then even with that i found it distracting for example there's a scene where they all cross a rickety rope bridge like in, in jenny jones temple of doom so they're walking along it, wobbling, but the bridge isn't moving at all. They've not animated the bridge to move, but then sometimes it does move, but then most of the time it's not. I just found it distracting, I'm afraid. I wanted to like it, and it is good. It is good if you're not fatigued on World War II stuff, because the performance is good, the story's good, animation looks good, it's interesting, worth it just to see something different. So I'd say watch it, because why not? What else are you doing? But I wanted to like it more than did if that makes
1: sense sorry if you did say this is it english language as well
0: yes it's english language it's the american soldiers and oh i should say it is based on true events so the main character is a real person that only died like 15 years ago so it's based on true events which makes it more interesting And they have the usual summary, text summary at the end of what happened to them all, which makes it good because it is a sort of historical drama that you're watching. Very good. Anything else? Um, I'll give you a Brucie bonus because you've taken Auntie Donna's Big old House of Fun from me. There's a new Japanese film on Netflix called Romance Doll. I say new it has 2020 on it maybe it was early in the year it's adapted from a novel that was released 10 years ago and i get the sense that this was a well-known novel and an anticipated film adaptation it is about a man that works in a sex doll factory so he makes the silicone life-size sex dolls but he keeps that job secret from his wife for their entire marriage or most of their marriage which is not very plausible, but that is just a funny premise for a film. So you get to see the manager coming out and like feeling this doll in detail and saying, no, this is rubbish. The breasts are too big. Do another one. So that's funny. <laughs> it's it's funny, but it was also a bit boring. But I just thought I'd mention it because it's a new non-Netflix film that is on Netflix.
1: Yeah. I quite quite like sex dolls, so I might give that a watch. Yeah.
0: Romance doll.
1: James. Yep. I have a feeling... That something that we prophesized a few weeks ago may have actually come true. Do you want to find out what it is? Oh yes. It's the real thing. It is now.
0: Real, real news. News. Don't keep me waiting any longer than the jingle. What is
1: it? Wonder Woman. Have you heard? No. You heard the news? No. Wonder Woman, quite possibly, is headed to HBO Max. Really? I didn't know this. Yeah. But by the time this comes out in six days, it will be old news or it won't be happening <laughs> anymore. But tell me more. Okay, so it's not confirmed as of yet, but it's looking ever increasingly likely that they're going to go with... They're not going to go back on the word. They're going to release in theatres because they have to release in theaters. But what they are gonna do is release it two weeks later on HBO Max. Now, I don't get it. I just don't get it. What, why? I mean, I'm talking from my own perspective here. Maybe it doesn't mirror everyone else's, but if you're in America or anywhere else in the world right now, and and fair enough, we're hypocrites because we've been to the cinema, but you're not gonna risk your life to go and watch Wonder Woman knowing full well that you can watch it two weeks later. Tenet is a different beast. We know we're not getting that for another six months. That's why we risked our lives for this podcast. But if I had the chance to watch it two weeks later, I would not be setting foot in a cinema. Do you think that's just my point of view, or do you think it's going to be the consensus? I I just don't understand. I think most people
0: will think like that, but they just want to make as much money as possible, probably, and not give in and still turn it into an event, still make it an event. Yeah, I guess so. I think people will still go because Tenet did still make money. Is there a date on this rumour for the release?
1: Yeah, so Christmas Day release with a January release shortly afterwards on HBO Max. So the only other concerning news about this, HBO Max, not available in the UK.
0: Brilliant. Well, it better come out in the UK in cinemas, otherwise they will be hell to pay. There will be hell to pay. Maybe because of the change in American president, the thinking, if the new guy, the even older white man, if he does a lockdown, it's never going to get released in cinemas. So December, before they switch over, it's now or
1: never. I never thought about that, but maybe, maybe the presidency does come into the mix because now you've got somebody who has an attribute known as common sense and, yeah, a lockdown may occur. So good point. Good point. Didn't think of it like that. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Hopefully Indeed. it
0: won't change that much in the next six days and we can just leave this section as it is
1: in the edit. I'm struggling to remember as well when I said we prophesized this. Didn't we touch on the fact that Patty Jenkins had come out and said 100% no, it has never been released on streaming services? Isn't that what she said? Yeah,
0: she said that we're preserving the theatrical experience and I said I don't think it's
1: ultimately up to her. Yeah, well, there you go. Vindicated.
0: Any other real news?
1: Yes. So news to me, but apparently there is a reimagining of Home Alone in the works with Ryan Reynolds called Stoned Alone, which is essentially the same story, but told from the perspective of a pothead in his 20s who misses a skiing trip with his pals. And then I would assume everything that happens in Home Alone follows shortly afterwards. Yeah, probably not necessary. Nobody needs to see this. Just go back and watch Home Alone and watch It Stoned if you want. That's how you get this film. But the director of the original, Christopher Columbus, has come out and he is not happy about this in the slightest. Bear with me while I get a quote. Director Christopher Columbus probably holds his own work in too high of a regard, in my opinion. It's Home Alone. It isn't, you know as in referenced in the article, actually, The Godfather. It is not The Godfather. But he's come out in response to this news and has said, and I quote, the reboots are just silly to me. When I read about something called Stoned Alone that they were going to do with Ryan, it was an R-rated Home Alone movie about stoners. I thought to myself, this is just an insult to the art of cinema. Well, I hope he does know, because not a lot of people do, that there was four subsequent sequels to Home Alone that were all straight to video so three sorry we're straight to video what's the difference between that and this why has this got him all flailing about being all out of sorts just generally not a happy chap here
0: what's up with him maybe he just doesn't know the other two came out it sounds
1: like he doesn't know yeah and he, he did add, add actually this is why the godfathers referenced where i do think all right mate you're not francis Ford Coppola. If you're making a comedy, a musical, no matter what film I'm making, my goal is to treat it with the same respect as if I was making The Godfather. Really? Because that first Harry Potter film is shit.
0: He directed the first Harry Potter film?
1: Yeah. But on the premise of this, Stoned Alone,
0: how is this going to be different from any other day in this person's life? Being alone in this person's 20s, what's the big deal there? I'd have to be convinced that that's actually a worthwhile premise to begin with.
1: Yeah, I'm hazarding a guess that they're going to go down the route of he's so off his face that he's locked inside his own house and can't get out, but remains to be seen. Can't say I'm especially looking forward to that. I'll just go back and watch the original, thanks. Holds up pretty well, in my opinion. Yeah, and um, sequel, not that bad. I prefer Home on <sighs>
0: Oh, so, you're already straining credibility yeah. by not having seen Beverly Hills Cop and now you're saying you prefer Home Alone 2. That's yeah. It's controversial. Yeah.
1: Will, will you edit that a bit, please? Yep. Yep.
0: We could argue about Home Alone and Home Alone 2 another time. For now, we're going to have a polite discussion about loving or hating Lost in Translation. What are you talking about, you? I very much disagree Shut up with that. To... You do not have good opinions. What an idiot.
1: I hate if You opinion. can't even speak. Or... Nothing you're saying makes sense. Conflicts of interest.
0: Let's kick off our Sofia Coppola special content halfway into this Sofia Coppola special episode with our discussion of Lost in Translation. I love it. You hate it. Let's Let's work through this problem. You ready for this? bring it on. I love Lost in Translation. I know it's a cliche for someone like me that has lived in Japan to like this film but the air quotes romantic melancholy of the film is something that I I tuned into and it's one of those films I can watch at any moment at any time because it goes down like a fine wine even though I don't know anything about wine. I, I imagine it goes down like fine wine would yes nothing seems to happen it's people doing ordinary things for three or four days without much excitement even when they get shot at it's with a bb gun and they run away without incident but the goodness of it comes from the little meaningful glances that happen throughout the 90 minutes a hand on the foot While they're in bed, are a small look, or the small but very funny jokes, like Bill Murray getting out the carpet samples and saying, "Which one's burgundy?" That cracks me up. The point for me is that there's a whole world of feeling underneath this completely mundane stuff that is going on. Like at the end, when Bill Murray is having his picture taken with his Japanese entourage, and he's looking off to Scarlett Johansson in the lift, looking sad, turning back to have the picture taken does a little smile again, looks back off again at the lift. Just so good. There's so much going on. It's so rich with the performances. The music, I love the music. I've been listening to it for 17 years, just like Honey, still hits just as strong now as it did all that time ago. There's lots of short scenes as well. You can think of it as this boring film with these long drawn-out scenes where nothing happens, but the short scenes as well, like Scarlett Johansson in the bath or Bill Murray in the shower. There's a historical significance to this film as well because Sophia Coppola was only the third woman to be nominated for Best Director and the first woman to win the Best Screenplay Oscar. It's an important film for representation of women in film. So if you don't like it, you're a sexist. And the opening shot is Scarlett Johansson's arse. That's my quick pitch for why I like Lost in Translation. That's the background. What did
1: you think? Last week. My quote was that I claimed this was one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. And I've revisited it to see if that opinion holds any weight in 2020. If I think back to 17, 18-year-old me, this is the best opening shot to a film in recent memory. I think for 17-year-old me, it never quite lived up to that first scene. And I think that's why I came down on it so hard. And I really do remember my reaction to this film being so overwhelmingly negative. I didn't get the hype. I didn't see the appeal. But having lived, bang on, another half of my entire existence on this earth since first watching this film, I'm annoyed to say that revisiting it 17 years later, I love this film. (laughs) And it pains me. It pains me to say this. I was so geared up for an argument. I thought well, you were aggressive with your opinion back then. It can't have changed that much. My word, I've just done a complete 360 on it. You've done a 180.
0: You've done a 180. If you'd done Sorry. a 360, you would have gone from hurting it to hurting it. Sorry to.
1: Thank you for schooling me on angles. Um, <laughs> it's not an angle. Whatever rotation, right. I suppose. Rotation. Thank you. 180. I did a 180. It's a film that just perfectly captures like a chance encounter meeting between two pretty lonely strangers or lost souls, as the plot summary suggests, and how they get swept up in this relationship and are engrossed in each other's company. What really surprised me is how inaccurate my memory was of this film. I thought it was overly long, dull, boring, without any light moments whatsoever. And I laughed probably about 10 times during this film. I I found it really, really funny, whether it was explaining the direction of the commercial that Bill Murray's shooting and the really over-the-top angry director just screaming in his face. I just had such a good time with it. I I did find a few things that I've done a bit of reading and I think it was a problem at the time, but... I found some of the representations of Japanese people quite troublesome. I don't know if you thought the same. There's some borderline racist things that they use for humour with pronunciations of ours and, and stuff like that, which I thought was a bit troubling. But regardless, you know, it's a product of its time, as we mentioned with Eddie Murphy. Delirious, I suppose. It's not excusing it, it just is. But like you said, there's really touching moments and the subtle, whether it's a head on the shoulder, you mentioned it, a uh, hand on a foot, carrying her into a hotel room at the end of the night and not being a complete creep about it. The relationship between them both, I've read that people praised it for its slightly unusual depiction of romance, But I would submit to you that I don't think this is a romance and we can discuss that in a bit more detail, I suppose. But it's essentially two people filling an emotional void and having a shared understanding that when it comes down to it, I think they are using each other. (laughs) I'm not saying that they don't form an emotional connection, but they're using each other to get through this difficult time in both their lives. And I don't see it as anything more than that to pinpoint one of the things that probably did annoy me at the time which is why i was so negative about it it's a film that is quite emotionally complex on a level that a lot of stuff is implied but not shown and props to you because i think you did but i don't think i had the emotional intelligence for this film at the time but you know like a fine wine with age there comes emotional intelligence i've not mastered it yet but i'm getting there a bit This, if nothing else, was an interesting experiment. I don't usually revisit films that I didn't like years later, but this just goes to show that it might be a worthwhile activity because, my word, I 100% have done a uh, U-turn. I love this film. I love it.
0: Right. Thank Thank you for all of that. But at the end of last week's episode, you said that you didn't like it. So then we exchanged a few text messages where we suggested doing this lively, debate about lost in translation i've done the episode introduction about half an hour ago and you've waited until now to tell me that you actually like it i only watched it an hour
1: ago (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) sorry
0: no I, i i agree with everything well the the controversy though coming out of it is an interesting point because yes at the time there was that criticism about the depiction of japanese people Lip them, lip them. What do you mean? Oh, rip them. You want me to li- rip your tights? Okay.
1: There's three examples of that. There's Lodgermore. Or oh, does the photographer say Lodgermore? Yeah. Oh. And then there is also Lap Pack instead of Rat Pack.
0: Right. How it might get away with that is that Sophia Coppola, writer director, she has a genuine affection for Japan. And that's where the idea for the film came from um i don't think you could make a genuine accusation of racism against her i'm sure anyone that's been on holiday abroad will have their own example of those lost in translation moments like i was once stood with the principal slash headmaster of my school outside the school and he was just talking and talking and talking i didn't know what he was saying I didn't know what he was saying, but the conversation had gone so far that I couldn't just stop him and say, to be honest, mate, I don't know anything, what you've just said. I just had to say, "Mm, yeah, just a generic, yeah, yeah. That's the case, isn't it? Yeah, well, got to go back inside now. So it happens.
1: Yeah, fair enough, and I think I'm in agreement with you. I'm just curious, um, and this is me being ignorant, I suppose, in general, in terms of, of a culture, those little bits aside that we've just mentioned does it represent japan well i'm just saying it as i saw it in the film it seemed like oh aren't japanese people eccentric and nothing else either that's true which i don't think is the case or it wasn't a very balanced showcase of japanese culture but what what you've obviously lived there what was your take on that the
0: role play masseuse visiting your hotel room i can't speak to that honestly i can't no matter what anyone says i cannot attest to whether that's accurate or not. But there's something in there as well that is accurate, which is not them being eccentric, which is the ultra professional, polite entourage that he's with that gives him the greeting at the hotel. They all give him business cards. That's all real. That's well known as what goes on. So I'd say it's accurate. I don't think there's anything offensively exaggerated. On the point about whether it's a romantic relationship or not, something that I read once was that they don't do anything physically. But to have that deep bond forged in those few days, it's a kind of emotional betrayal to allow themselves to get to the point where saying goodbye to each other is this kind of life changing moment. So I would say it's romantic, but not in a physical way. And I think it, it works because it's a female director, writer, that that balance is struck. And as we're going to talk about with Bill Murray, it's his charm. And his lovable performance that manages to strike that miraculous balance, where it's not really weird.
1: Did you? Um...
0: No, I noticed that I said balance instead of balance. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I didn't do that deliberately.
1: <laughs> just, just double checking. Just yeah. quashing the complaint emails before they even begin.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: After watching him back to back with obviously today's main review, I've come to appreciate him as an actor more. I know him from Ghostbusters and Lost in Translation, and that's it. But he has dramatic range, and it's not over the top dramatic, but it's, it's subtle. And I don't think I've ever really understood or appreciated just how fine of an actor he is. Naturally, just like our palettes change with age, for example, five year old. Love Kit Kats. 10-year-old, hated Kit Kats. 18-year-old, love Kit Kats again. But yeah, your tastes in films can change
0: as the years go on. You bring your lived experience to anything that you're watching. So let's fast forward 17 years and watch Sofia Coppola's newest film. Hello. Like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh, point of view. Promise me, sit back. This is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles, thoughts in sync. Tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. That newest film is an Apple TV Plus original on the rocks. Hi, Dan. Take it all.
1: Oh my gosh, do you look beautiful, Cliff? You How's your mom's hip? Good things. Good. He thinks you're my girlfriend.
0: Grace. Been busy. Yeah, Dean's traveling with clients all the time, and I'm just the buzzkill waiting to schedule things. Just, I'm so stuck. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips. Dad, raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad. Sure, it's nature. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Hmm. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible for women that are most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great, so I have many months left. Felix, really? you're back in town. Been busy? Yeah. Got a lot going on, do you? He should be worshiping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonorable, you need to know. What if Dean's just busy? I'm in a rut, that's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. This is your idea of incognito? Directed by the daughter of an Oscar-winning director, starring the daughter of a legendary music producer, a member of a show business dynasty, And Bill Murray, this is a film of relatable characters who have everything, doing nothing, aimed at no one.
1: IMDb says that this is about a young mother, 38, who reconnects with her larger-than-life playboy father on an adventure through New York. James, don't do what this film did to me and leave me in suspense, building up to nothing. Tell me what you thought of On the Rocks.
0: I like the premise. But it was a bit slow to get there. It took over half an hour to actually get to the spy adventure of father and daughter. But as we've discussed, I don't mind this kind of languidly paced Sophia Coppola film. And it was smooth running for me. I like her style. Who is this film for and who's the target audience? I can't really say. People that want to watch a nice, cosy film with nice acting maybe i think it is similar to lost in translation the events of the story what's happening in the scenes is not that monumental but what you're seeing is this growth in the characters and if you want to invest in the characters that's interesting to watch but the problem is it gives you the option of checking out completely because it's not that exciting and there is this kind of cold distance with what's going on it's shot in a very matter of fact way you might even say flat but i think it looks good it's a good looking film i liked the driving sequences in new york at night that looked very nice the bars and restaurants they go to all look very nice just looks nice it lives or dies by the performance of bill murray and rashida jones being good bill murray is excellent and charming lovable just like lost in translation but not as good if you look at what his character does and what he talks about it seems like he's not a sympathetic character but somehow he is a lovable character he's good to watch raceda jones i liked her in parks and recreation she was good there so i was happy to see her in this i don't want to say these words in this order but take them in context i wish she would smile more right
1: okay
0: yep She's not got a lot to smile about, right? Well, no, it's about her spending time with her father and going on this unexpected adventure. And we'll get more into it in spoilers, but it seems like for the point of this film to be what it is, she needs to actually be having a good time at certain moments, accidentally having fun with her father while they're doing this stuff. But because she's complaining and unhappy for the whole film, that dragged it down a little bit. So that's my that's my context for saying what I, those words. So just please take it in context.
1: Never seen anybody gaslight an actor in a film review before. Okay, <laughs> <No>. I'm joking.
0: <laughs> I don't think this will lift you up into a higher plane with incredible emotion and drama and moving, incredible performances. It's a quiet and slow film, but it does have a heart that is there if you want it to be. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I'm in agreement with a lot of what you've just said. One of the most striking things about this film, only 10 minutes in, don't know if you noticed, but this has to be like, I think it's the third film by Sofia Coppola in which the lead actress is left-handed. What's the other two? Uh, The others being Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation and Nicole Kidman in The Beguiled. That's an IMDB bit of trivia for you there, Um, but I'm sure you already picked up on that anyway. So... I am not, can't stress this enough, I am not a Sophia Coppola fan. Virgin Suicides, I found so meandering and boring. Marie Antoinette, I turned it off after 20 minutes. I've just never really clicked with her style of storytelling. Prior to revisiting Lost in Translation, that was my memory of her films. So maybe I've just got a fractured, awful memory. So there you go. But it defied my expectations, not just because of that, but also the way in which the story would play out. As the summary suggests, it's going to be about this father and daughter relationship. And to me, in many ways, I don't feel as though that was the crux of the whole thing. It doesn't feel like it's about her rebuilding a relationship with her father. That just feels consequential to her trying to resolve the issues within a marriage. And the surprising thing with that relationship is I thought it was going to be really, really fractured and that was what the film was going to centre on was her building that relationship back up again. And don't get me wrong, they do have unresolved issues between each other, but it doesn't feel like it's something that needs repairing as such. That's what I took from it. So to me, it did feel that it more hinges on the relationship between Rashida Jones and her husband, Marlon Wayans. And more so, it's just feels like it's inherently a story about a woman's journey of discovering herself again she's got stuck in a rut she's getting to grips with her own insecurities surrounding this relationship and professionally her own insecurities as well it is very much her film and to me it felt more so than Bill Murray's film, which again, I wasn't expecting. She does a really good job of portraying, feeling really isolated. Like early on in the film, there's many scenes with her, with her kids, but she does feel very much alone. And it's all communicated through really subtle facial expressions that I think were just extremely well done. I think it is a standout performance. I think she's brilliant in this. Bill Murray, as you've said, he's very charming, if not slightly misogynistic, but endearing nevertheless. The rapport between him and Rashida Jones is, is natural and, and effortless. But a big revelation for me was Marlon Wayans. So he has the most appalling IMDb credit history you've ever seen. And to see him in a film playing a straight role and doing it in a good way was quite a surprise and I welcomed that. One criticism I do have is, I said at the beginning, it's a relatable story. And I think it is, but it walks a thin line between alienating the audience sometimes because this is well off, let's say rich people with everyday problems. And the backdrop of each scene took me out of it ever so slightly. So they're like going to these high profile parties, they're in top end restaurants, there's like an art gallery. And I'm not saying I haven't experienced any of those things, but for that to be someone's day in day out life, is not something that I'm familiar with. I don't think that it's too in your face so that it does completely alienate you. But it did strike me that This is a film made by privileged people. And I think she got the balance right, to be fair. But it it was something that I became aware of. What I enjoyed about it is it's quite a sad situation that this woman finds herself in. And, you know, you suspect your partner of cheating, your life begins to unravel... But it managed to be lighthearted and entertaining and not take the approach of wallowing in its own misery, which I admired. It's a lot more entertaining than I anticipated. It's a really simple story with little dramatic payoff, but told extremely well. And I liked it.
0: Very good. It's interesting how you took the main focus as the marriage, but I took it as the father and daughter that point that you said about how they live high flying lives where they go to nice bars or art galleries she's a writer the husband is doing a mysterious unexplained company that gets five hundred thousand followers and has parties yeah and i noticed that as well and then i thought about lost in translation a little bit about how that is miserable people who aren't doing that badly and i just wondered is that the only kind of person that Sophia Coppola understands <laughs> from the pedigree that she's from being Francis Ford Coppola's daughter, Nicolas Cage's cousin. Is that all that she can write about? Is that all she, is that her whole world? If it is, that that's fine, but I I, do, I wonder if that's what's going on there.
1: The, the only reason why it worked for me, though, by the way, I think there's a conscious effort to underplay the wealth of Rashida Jones and her family. So her father, comparatively, he's constantly flaunting his wealth, whether it be, you know, he's took her out to a restaurant and he's driving this expensive car and X, Y, Z. But when it comes to the family themselves, nothing's too exuberant and and over the top in terms of their daily lifestyle. They've got a very nice house, but it's not, it's not a mansion as such. So I felt like they did make an effort to go, oh no, it's, it's quite a, it's a normal family. It's a normal family. Yeah. So it's, everyone can relate to it. Everyone. I felt like they actually tried to do that.
0: Yeah. And the thing that they did to help that was they kept showing Rashida Jones picking up her daughters from school and the conversations with her friend, Jenny Slate. I thought that was really funny how Jenny Slate, the friend, was giving updates on her life and Rashida Jones just kept no-selling it.
1: And walking off and didn't
0: care thought that was that was funny before we go into spoilers can i just ask you do you know why this film exists business wise no but i'm interested tell me more well this is an apple tv plus and it is the result of a multi-year partnership with production studio a24 who have agreed to produce a slate of original films for apple so if this is the standard I have high hopes for the rest of the slate of original films that A24 are going to make on Apple.
1: Just hoping that uh, Apple doesn't do a massive Quibi and die a death, but they seem to be stumbling along in a lot more organised fashion than Quibi, shall we say.
0: Not a lot of content. I renewed my subscription after Greyhound just for this. There's still not a lot there.
1: I noticed that. In fact, I noticed something even weirder when I went to renew my subscription. I didn't have to. It just let me play on the rocks, which I still don't know how I have paid for this for months and not realized it's not leaving my bank account. It's not leaving my partners. I don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, they've, they've not added a lot. I will say though, just as a slight aside, there is a program called Home, which is about house design and architecture. And the first episode of that, Is very much about the house, but it also discusses the parent-child relationship in a lot better way than this film does. And that's 30 minutes long. And I would say go and seek out the first episode of Home because it's surprisingly entertaining and, and very heartfelt. Sounds good. On the Apple TV Plus app on
0: iPad, it does something which is really annoying is that it collects all the viewing options from all your streaming services into one thing. So you can't tell what's what. You'll press something and you'll think, oh, that's an Apple TV Plus, but it's not. It's on Prime. And then you press a film that you think, oh, that's on Apple TV Plus, but it's not. It's just buy this film from the
1: Apple store. It's really hard to figure out where is your actual content. Mm -hmm. I think Amazon obviously does a very similar thing, but they've fine tuned it to the point that if you just want to view Prime content, you can. And that is all that they need to do is have that option. But they don't. You're right. It's annoying
0: before we go into spoilers, Daniel, would you recommend On The Rocks?
1: It's not going to change your life. It is though a breezy Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday afternoon film. And yes, I would recommend it. James, what about you? Yes, I would
0: recommend it. Shall we spoil it? Let's do that now. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. (laughs) Spoilers. Rashida Jones suspects her husband of cheating and she's encouraged by her father, Bill Murray, to follow him. They follow him to a nightclub in a car and eventually they end up following him to Mexico, which is sort of the climax, but he's not actually in Mexico. And there's a scene that I wanted to ask you about where Bill Murray explains the backstory of their family, where he says that he cheated on Rashida Jones's mother and left her, but then lost touch with his mistress, girlfriend. And in that scene, when he's describing how he cheated on the mother of his child, he says it was heartbreaking. And to me, it seemed like he was saying it was heartbreaking for him as well, and that he regrets it. And when I talk about how he's somehow sympathetic, that's what... I'm talking about, that he's basically admitting that everything's his fault, but it seems like he carries the pain of it as well. So you're still sympathetic. Was that something like your reaction as well?
1: I did have a similar reaction because I think it's it's very difficult for you to sympathise with someone who throughout the whole film, has been portrayed as something of a womanizer and a chancer of such with women. But yet you're right. He does have this very subtly done scene where he slightly breaks down, but not quite. And it was just enough for me to feel the weight of that pain that he's, he's held for most of his adult life because there are two sides to every story. And naturally, I think given what information we're exposed to in this film, it's not something that should be forgiven really. But as I say, two sides to every story and people carry their own pain for different reasons. And I think this film made you question and and keep that in mind. And I certainly did feel an element of warmth towards him when he was was getting slightly upset.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. And I think the help by having the mother not criticise Bill Murray, she doesn't say anything bad about him. So he's not portrayed as this evil guy. And in the end, it's revealed that Marlon Wise is not cheating and Rashida Jones smiles and says, if you wanted to spend time with me, you could have just asked. And it made it seem like, oh, maybe he's a bit lonely and he just wants to spend time with his daughter. And that's what it was really about. That's what was going on, which I thought was fine, but it would have made more sense and landed more if she'd seemed to have enjoyed spending that time with him. That would have worked better for me.
1: See, I thought that it did come across like that because when I said at the beginning, like it, it doesn't feel like a relationship that needed repairing. I did get that bond between them from the offset. Like, all right, she's a bit frustrated with some of his manners and how he approaches women, this, that and the other. But she just knows what kind of guy he is and she accepts that of him. And I did find that there was intimate moments between them that were quite touching. And I did feel like there was a few moments where she laughed and smiled or had a knowing glance towards him. I thought that was quite prominent, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: Maybe I'm wrong. It's two different opinions where I just... Two guys just throwing out some thoughts. It did it did land, though. It didn't not land. Mm. I did like that bit at the end where they both realised, yeah, we just spent some time with each other. It was fun. I did think, though, with the husband not cheating, if I wasn't enjoying the film, I would have just said, what was the point? If he was never cheating at all, what was the point of all this? So I think that is a possible danger and one possible reaction that people might have. Did you want him to be cheating because I s- sort of did I didn't want him to be cheating I just thought he obviously is so what other ending
1: could there be I did I didn't want him to because I did I didn't obviously want Rashida Jones's character to go through that nightmare but I was left slightly emotionally perplexed because like I said I didn't really get hooked onto this Bill Murray, Rashida Jones' relationship because I didn't think like it was the central part of the story. So I was placing all my bets on this husband and wife dynamic only for it not to have a dramatic payoff as such. I mean, it, it does resolve itself. They find that they become quite disconnected and slowly they're brought back together. And that that is what I kind of held on to. But neither plot strand has much dramatic weight. And that's the main thing that bothered me. Bill Murray and his daughter... Oh, you've been an idiot. We've had a massive argument. Now you've turned up at my house. you want to spend some time with me. That's fine. You're forgiven. Let's move on. Her husband, all the way through, she's thought he was cheating. And to be fair, for quite good reason, I can see why she's gone down this route. But it almost felt a bit insulting to turn that around and just say, you were being a silly woman. You weren't cheating. And then things just fall into place and them just get on with their lives. There's just no real, I'm struggling to find another word. There's just no weight behind any of it. Yeah, you're right. It's like there's no build,
0: but there's no payoff. It's just this flatness. Not flatness, because it is good. I mean, we both enjoyed it, but I think that's just what her films sort of are. And you know that description you just said of how she's got good reason to think that he's cheating and he just says, well, I'm not, so it's fine. It's Mm -hmm. a bit like the video for If I Were a Boy by Beyonce, where (laughs) there are reasonable suspicions... But the mind just goes, well, obviously I'm not doing it. It's your, you're pro, your, the problem. You're the one that is being suspicious and that's generating the problem. It's not me.
1: Yeah. And the more that I think about it, even though I've mentioned it as a criticism, I do find that this film was a bit more true to life than a lot of other films that would tackle the same subject matter. It's just understated, I suppose. And sometimes there isn't this big hoo-ha with loads of crying and throwing glasses at people's heads and this that and the other you just get on with it and it is what it is and i I suppose that's again i just wasn't expecting that i was thinking there'd be more to it but hey ho that's life sometimes understated that's the word i was searching
0: for not a flatness it's understated and Mm. yeah the big chase spy adventure doesn't happen. The big confrontation at the house in Mexico doesn't happen. It's just resolved realistically, but it's still good.
1: Yeah. I think the most poignant thing for me as well, and this is getting very personal, but day-to-day life is so busy at times that you do start to feel distanced from your partner. It's not a purposeful thing that you've done. You've not tried to separate yourself from them, but you're just too caught up in the everyday grind of doing this, that, and the other that concentrating on that intimacy and and that relationship with one another kind of falls by the wayside a lot of the times and that in itself I think is extremely relatable for for a lot of people take a step back and just reevaluate what's important in life and that that's that's what I took from it anyway
0: it's very very well said I think once again I'm just going to extract that opinion from you and put it into my head It's like people are not listening to each other. Like the scenes which are funny with Rashida Jones and her friend. They're just not listening to each other. Yeah, Yeah. good point. Good point. I like that. I think we're getting more out of this than the viewing audience on Rotten Tomatoes, who've given it 50% off of over 400 ratings. That's not good. 86% critics, but audiences are not having it.
1: Surprises me this, because like we've said, I do feel like this is a lot more... I know you said it's slow pace, but its I was never bored. It feels like it goes along at quite a nice pace to me. What's the main criticism then? Boring, all caps, slow,
0: goes nowhere, pretty boring, humour is flat, mediocre, made-for-TV movie. That's the general themes.
1: Well, if we all like the same thing, it'd be a boring world,
0: so to each their own. Yeah. Just to go on on a tangent, which is the theme for this episode... You look at the Rotten Tomatoes ratings for Sofia Coppola's other films, apart from Lost in Translation and Virgin Suicide,
1: audience rating is rotten for all her films. Really ignorant, of I mean, this, but outside of the films you've just mentioned, what else has she directed? I don't even know. Did she Marie- do The Bling Ring?
0: Yes, Marie Antoinette, somewhere, The Bling Ring, best known for the gif of Emma Watson licking her lips, The Beguiled, as you've mentioned, and now
1: On the Rocks. Well, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. But we will be back next week with a British film. What we're we reviewing, James?
0: Looted, which is set in Hartlepool. And it's about young lads uh, stealing cars, I think.
1: All right. Bit of GTA in the mix. Yeah. It's not what we call it in the UK, though. It's just uh, car theft. Next week we will be reviewing that as James mentioned. But if you wish to get in touch with us beforehand, please do so by emailing us at in the at gmail.com. We can hardly contend with the amount of emails that are coming in so far, but keep them coming. James, what about Instagram? In the Isles
0: Podcast. And I swear, if more people follow, I will post more
1: than once a week. Great stuff. Right. From now until then. I'm going to go and have myself a whiskey, but without ice, because I've had enough of On The Rocks.
0: Bye. (laughs)